What's it really mean, y'all, to live for Jesus every day? Well, Paul sat down with the church at Ephesus, and he, and he took chapters 4, 5, and 6, and he laid out specifics. And, and folks, we've already found out over these last couple of three weeks, Paul doesn't mince words. He says it straight up. He's not going around something. He's not trying to sugarcoat it. He's saying, these are the things you must do. Paul is brilliant. He studied under the man and teacher Gamaliel. And he writes what we call good Greek. When you study Greek and you find someone that writes good Greek, good, good Greek is hard to translate. It's hard to read because of the brilliance of the person writing it. What was spoken in that day and time was what was called koine, K-O-I-N-E, koine Greek. Basically, Southern English. And so here's Paul writing with with such brilliance. And he uses specific words to make sure the church at Ephesus understands exactly what he says. Paul is very particular in the wording and the language and the verbiage that he uses. Not that the other writers of the Gospels and the other writers of the, Old, of the New Testament were not. They were. But Paul is, look at his history. You remember the man. You remember before Damascus Road. You remember after he was saved and how his life just took a literal about face. And yet that brilliance that God had given to this man is being shown so strong. In the the book of Romans, the book of Hebrews. I mean, you go all the way through and see Paul's writing to the church at Rome and Paul's writing to the Ephesian church, to the Philippian church. He is very intimate. He is talking to the hearts of believers in the church. And he wants us to make sure that we live for Jesus 24-7. So we're in chapter 5. Hope you have your Bibles this morning because... I. Over this past few weeks in looking and preparing this message, I looked at chapter 5, verse 1, and I went literally to the second word. The first word was therefore, and the second word was be, B-E. And every time I read these seven verses, I said, Lord, I need your outline. Help. And then I start writing, and when I start writing like that in the message, I don't stop till I get it where I believe God wants it, at least on papers, so I can remember what I just came out of my brain and heart. And I had a different title for this message. And the more I prepared, the more I worked, because you'll find out in my sermon preparation, I, don't, I title the message in the beginning, but as this staff knows, that title most likely will change. And this one did because I kept writing B, E, B, E. And then I started writing words that and phrases that Paul was saying in these seven verses. And that's why the title, Paul's Seven B's for the Believer. See, he's taking everything one step further. He's going a little bit deeper with everybody now. 
And so he says, okay, I've told you all about this. Now let me get down to the brass tacks and share with you seven things that, folks, we need to do and you need to do as a church. And that's the way. And again, remember, where is Paul when he's writing this? Hello? Where is Paul, folks? He is. He's in prison. He will and looks like his execution is imminent. And this may be the last communication he has with the church at Ephesus. And so he writes so deeply from his heart, very particular about the words he uses. And he, the second word in, in chapter 5, verse 1, is the word B-E. B. So I went back again and looked at that word in the Greek language. The word in the Greek is the word genomai. And it means... It means to always, not just to become or be, but it means to continually always to be and become. The word in the tense that it's written in is continuous action in the present. So Paul says, therefore, be, what he's saying is over and over, continually be. Don't stop being. Don't stop becoming. Always be. So in everything that we talk about this morning, I want you to make sure you see it in the shadow of the definition of that word be. Be ye kind one to another. means be kind, of course. And we interpret that word as something we must and that we do. When Paul uses genomai, he uses it to say not only should you be kind, You should be kind yesterday, today, and forever. It is a continual 24-7 process. None of these are one-time event. You remember last week I talked to you about a word called punctiliar and linear action? Linear action is action that continues over and over and over. Punctiliar action is action that happened one time in the past, once and for all. In particular, God gave Jesus. That's a one-time thing. That's punctiliar action. But now B is linear. It continues on and on and on. We don't stop. Paul said it, remember in Philippians, I press forward to the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We are in the process of growing on this earth. We will never, ever attain maturity until we stand face to face with God. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And Paul knows that, and the church knows that. But he says, folks, in the meantime, there are seven B's that I believe you must do and we must do in order to live for Jesus 24-7. And, and as I read these verses, it sounds like something out of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And it's, it's like Paul is writing it for us right here, right now, that he wasn't writing it for the first century, that he actually had us in mind. And you know, I believe he did. Oh, yes, Paul was writing it for the church at Ephesus. But his writing spanned far more time than just for that church because he realized that what he was writing was not just words, folks, but God had commissioned him to write what? The Word of God in these letters. That's exactly what we see. So let me take you through these seven things. It won't take us long. They're incredible 
And if you will just remember these words, and most of you, if not all of us in this house, we're doing an incredible job at these seven. But like all the others, you're going to find one and you'll say to yourself, man, I'm really weak in that area and I know it. I need to work on that. That's what Paul wants us to do. That's exactly what he was saying to the church at Ephesus. And that's what he's saying to me and you in the church at Olive Springs. So we're going to take this verse by verse and walk through it. But before we do, let's pray. Okay, join with me. Father, you set before us your word. Paul has written it. It is explicit. It is challenging. It is strength. It is your word. And so, Father, may we treat it with all respect and authority. May we hear this word as the word of God for us today. And then, Father, as Doug said a minute ago, don't let us leave here like we got here. Because we've encountered Jesus Christ through his very word. And Lord, may the words that come out of my mouth be clear. May they be understandable that any in this house and all of us and even the small child could understand. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in verse 1, and here's the first one, folks. The first one is simply be an imitator of God. Mimites is the Greek word. We get our word mimic from it. Years ago, I was in clowning. I did a lot of Christian clowning. If you can ever imagine this face and this body looking like a clown, but I did. was trained by a Ringling Brother clown who's Christian, a fellow by the name Ernie Liebig, and Ernie is home with Jesus now, but I can remember we had a couple of our clowns when I was at first Smyrna and the, the folks and young people and others. We did a mime called The Mirror. You've seen this on TV. Uh, before, where one person stands in front of a mirror and another person who is dressed identical and looks and is made up to look same clown face or whatever on the other side of the mirror when in fact it's not an image, it's actually another person and they are mimicking each other. Have you ever tried that? Now, be careful. If you do and somebody's around, you might let them know what you're doing. But if you husbands and wives and all or whatever at home sit sometime in the living room, your grandkids come in to see you doing this or your friends come in and over they'll wonder, you have really flipped, let me tell you. But you try to mimic everything the person across from you is doing, every movement, every eye twitch, everything, and you'll realize how hard that is to do. And yet Paul says, folks, be an mimicker. That's not even the English word of God. How in the world? Well, if, if I use Katie and Matthew, I'm not going to bring you up here. But, for example, Matthew, there's no way you could ever mimic Katie unless you knew who Katie was. You know, Connie and I have been married long enough. She knows what I'm going to do before I ever do it. And you folks, you know these people. You can watch someone and you can try, but the more you know that person, the more you will move like that person. You will mimitate. You will mimic. Folks, you and I can't mimic God unless we know him. That's why, again, Paul's talking to believers, and he's saying be imitators. 
I originally titled this message, Follow the Leader. And the more I prepared and the deeper I got into it, this message was more than just simply following the leader. It was mimicking. It was actually trying to be like someone. Doesn't that sound like the scripture of Paul pressed forward toward the mark of God and the high calling of God in Christ Jesus? Isn't that what you and I are supposed to do 24-7? That's supposed to be our lifestyle to mimic God. Press forward. Become like God. 1 Corinthians 13. Now we see in a glass dimly, but one day how are we going to see? Face-to-face, clear, because that's the goal. That's the promise of God. We are heirs to the kingdom. We will be as God. He'll bring us to him. And that's what the scripture is telling us here. That's what Paul is saying. Until you get to that point of mature manhood, press forward, Paul says. And he says it to the Ephesian church folks, the believers, mimic God. Do what God says to do. How many of you in this house played follow the leader or Simon says growing up? You know, we did. Simon says this, and if Simon didn't say it, you didn't do it. Of course, you were out and you know the story. God says, just follow what I say. Do what I do. You can't do it unless you know God through his word and through the power of Jesus Christ in a personal, personal way. Now, remember, that's always becoming. That's always becoming an imitator, constantly. Here's the second of the seven. The second of the seven is be loving. And there's a hyphen there. Write the word agape, A-G-A-P-E. Verse 2, I don't think I read verse. I get carried up in this stuff, and I enjoy the preaching and the teaching and I didn't mean to forget the first scripture, so we'll pick it up right here. Here's two. And walk in love, that's the word agape, as the Messiah also loved us and gave himself for us as a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. How are you and I supposed to love? Be loving continually. The word is agape. It's God's unconditional in spite of love. It doesn't love you because of who you are. It loves you in spite of who you are. And the word God gave himself is that punctiliar action word, remember? It's that history, it's that past event that God gave himself. How? On the cross, once and for all. He died for us. This world is searching for a Messiah. They're searching other ways. And the Bible makes it clear. Jesus makes it clear in the 23rd. John 20, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man will ever come to the Father but by me. God gave himself once and for all for you and me. And because of that, he has put into the believer his love. Agape. Agape is a spiritual trait. It's not a human emotion. You cannot love someone with God's love unless you first know God through Jesus. Wow, and I, and I see the last part of this. It says, be, he gave himself as a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. 
The word offering refers to the burnt offering in the Old Testament. You can read about this in Leviticus 1, verses 1 and following. And the burnt offering was given to God not merely because of sin in the Old Testament, but because a person wished to glorify and honor God. A person wished to show his love and his adoration of God. And oftentimes we overlook this fact in the very fact of our offering to God. The person laid himself, literally, we placed our life before God as an offering to him. But what did God do for us? He brought Jesus. He allowed Jesus to come and Jesus died so I won't have to once and for all. Paul is saying now you have the capacity to love as God loves and this world needs to see that kind of love. And you know this past week we saw that. The heroes who just did acts of kindness. Maybe it was the guy standing out on the interstate serving peanut butter sandwiches and water to those who were trapped in their cars. I'm not saying all of us need to go do that, but that's just one example. Being able to, people who took people into their homes who were total strangers that were stuck in their cars literally on the street in which they lived and they yet let them come into their home. You saw those stories on and on and on. Folks, the Bible says that you and I are to walk in love constantly. Remember B, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. So be imitators, be a mimic, okay? Be loving, that is God's agape. Then the third thing, Paul says to the church. Now, once again, remember, he's talking to believers. He's not talking to pagans here. He says, be pure. Now, if he said to the church, be pure, don't you assume that some in the church were not pure? Yeah. And when he says this word, the word pure, it means exactly what it says. It, it says, but sexual immorality... The Greek word is pornia. Pornography is that we get our word from that. Or any impurity, it's physical or moral in the Greek, or greed should not even be heard among you as is proper for the saints. Notice Paul's word there. He uses the word saints to refer to the child of God. Not someone who has achieved, quote, what some refer to as sainthood, but what the Bible says, and when you become a child of God, you are a saint. Folks, you're God's child. And what he's saying is that, yes, you are God's child, and now God says, strive for purity. That word greed is a strong desire to acquire more and more and more on this earth. No matter whether you need it or not, it's just to grab it and get it together. And he says, don't let any of these even be named, even be mentioned, even be talked about. And then I hear Matthew chapter 5, the pure in heart are blessed for they will see God. Dear friend of mine at the Southern Baptist Convention, Richard Ross, began a campaign years ago in youth ministry in our convention called True Love Waits. 
The whole understanding came from Richard's family and from his daughter in the idea that he asked his daughter to remain pure until the day they married and then, of course, gave them a purity ring in to remember that commitment that they had made together. Well, that one instance grew and grew and grew until what we call true love waits and still is till this day. Folks, not only for young people, but for all of us, make sure our hearts remain pure. Don't let greed get in there. Don't let sexual immorality get in there. And it was happening in the church. That's why Paul mentioned it. Matter of fact, if you go back and study the the Ephesian church and the city of Ephesus, it's a pagan city, a very idolatrous city. And when you read the history, you will understand what the church was up against. Aren't we up against that today, folks, in this world? Aren't you and I as a church up against a sinful world that's trying to tell a pagan society, that's trying to tell believers in this day and time, genuine believers in this day and time, that you're wasting your time? And obviously, folks, they're winning. But thank God for you folks sitting in these pews Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Don't you lose heart ever because you are honoring God. God is not only honored by what you do. God says, I'm going to be there and take care of you, and I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. Don't you ever, ever give up what you're doing because this is what God says, and it's part of remaining pure. So be imitators. Be loving. Be pure. And here's the fourth one. Be clean mouth in verse 4. Clean mouth. He says, coarse and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather what is suitable is give thanks. Folks, if you and I are going to be an imitator, if we're going to love God and we're going to be pure, the one thing that we cannot be involved in is a foul mouth that's filled with filthiness. And that's exactly what this word coarse means. What an indictment of our day. Kids can't go to school. You can't go in the workplace. You can't be out in society unless you hear the name of God taken in vain. And it goes on and on, not only in our movies, but everywhere we go. And God forbid, sometimes from the lips of a Christian. And Paul says, that ought not to be so. We, you and I, are not to engage in this monologia, literally, it's uh, morologia, which means foolish talking. You know what the definition of a fool is in the Old Testament and New Testament? One who acts like there is no God. Isn't that what's happening in our world today? People are acting like there is no God. Wow. But the, the Bible actually has a, a word that describes it. It's called jesting. It's called innuendos in terms of jokes. It's called suggestive wordage or verbiage. 
though you may not say something that refers to immorality or sexual any problem, you infer it by what you say. Folks run from such talk. All of us. That's what Paul's saying. Don't do it. Don't be a part of it. Jesting is referred to in the Scripture and also as off-colored jokes or conversation at get-togethers that leads and can lead to sexual immorality. Folks, you can hear the stories of what's happening not only in our convention but in our world of this very same thing right here because there's not a passion for purity anymore. We must have it. You see, y'all, Paul's really meddling now. You know, he was meddling last week, but each week with these, he just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Why is he doing it? Because he loves the church at Ephesus and the people. Here's the fifth thing. The fifth thing. It's also found in verse 4. The last, be thankful. The last verse, the last part of verse 4, it says, but rather giving. Thanks. I'm glad in the Holman Christian Standard they translated this giving because basically that's exactly what it means. Once again, it is constantly giving. It's going on. It's moving. It's being thankful, and it's living a lifestyle of being thankful no matter what. The word thanks in the Greek is a little word called eucharistia. You may have heard of the Eucharist. One of the seven, sac- seven sacraments of the Roman Catholic Church, the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, the word simply means to give thanks. And what Paul is saying, you and I need to be thankful. Have, I went in, when I was in Chattanooga, Tennessee at Brainerd Baptist Church, I'd go in Memorial Hospital. And beside, I don't know if they still have it there to this day, but there was signs by all the elevators No matter where you went in the hospital, there was a simple black and white sign that was posted by the elevator door, and it said this, Have you said thank you, God, today? Question. Have you? Have you said thank you, God, today? The Bible says you and I are to live a thankful lifestyle. I'm going to tell you, this past Tuesday morning, Connie was keeping Griffin in Dallas at Michael and Jennifer's house. She called me about 1045, and she said, Randy, I think you might ought to leave. And I said, why? She said, well, the streets are white out here. So I looked out in our parking lot, and it was a little light snow, but nothing was on the ground. And so I left to go get her and take her home. Two hours later, I finally, by the grace of God, get to my son and daughter-in-law's house in Dallas. And by the time I got up to 78 and almost to 61, there was about an inch and a half of snow on the street, and it was a mess. Tractor trailers were jackknifing, cars were pulling off, and only by the grace of God was I able to get around them and finally get into subdivision, get down the hill, and even get up the hill. And I pulled in their driveway, just me and that car, and I pulled in that driveway, and guess what I said? Yes, thank you, God. And I'm not alone. A lot of folks said the same thing. And I thought to myself, I was thankful because God allowed me to get there safely in his protection. Folks, the last breath you just took in just a few minutes ago 
was a gift from God. Would you agree? And if God so chose, Rod, to take your last breath right now, could he do it? By all means. You see, last night or maybe this morning when you had your cup of coffee and you tasted the taste of that coffee, that's a gift from God. There are people in this world that can't taste food. Maybe when you got up, you looked in the mirror. No matter how bad you thought you looked when you first got up, you don't want to see me during that time. And you looked in the mirror and you said, Ooh, thank you, God. I'm breathing. It's a gift from God. I could go on and on. You get the point. We all do. Paul is saying, live a thankful lifestyle. In the little things, we've got a lot of big stuff. Man, this past week, whoa, was it a big stuff. Oh, incidentally, I did not leave. Connie and I did not leave Dallas for two and a half days later because we couldn't get down the hill, and we stayed with my son and daughter-in-law and Griffin and a greater Swiss mountain dog and a Maltese. So if I seem a little, ah, this week, that's why. But thank God for safety. Number five, be thankful. Be thankful. Let me tell you one other thing real quickly, too. Bethany called us Tuesday evening. She had left Georgia Public Health where she works. Took her about 12 or 13 hours, and she never got home. She finally had to abandon her car on the interstate highway, but she called her husband, my son-in-law, obviously, and then called Mother Connie and I and told us, and she was in tears by this point, uh, literal panic tears. Her phone had about 2% left on it, and she was terrified because she and the other 1,000 people on 75 were trying to get out of their cars and trying to walk. And let me tell you what I did. Connie and I prayed for an angel for our daughter. Ryan joined with us in that prayer. Because, folks, as a dad, I could not help my daughter. I couldn't get out of the driveway where I was, especially down the hill. There was no way I could get to her. I was completely, totally helpless. Ryan was completely, totally helpless, and all three of us prayed. Ryan was able to get home. It took a long time, but he was able to get home and prayed, God send an angel for Beth. Her phone dies. I now have lost complete contact. And you all know how much I love my children, and especially to Bethany. And I was terrified that I couldn't get to her as a dad. You dads know. You know what it's like. It's about an hour. We had not heard a thing from her. I'm walking the floors. I am into a not panic mode because I had put her in God's hands. But I said, God, if you could just use me, if you'd dry out that road where I could get to her, sure would be nice right now. Then my phone rang. It was about 11 o'clock at night. It was a number I didn't recognize. Did I answer it? You better believe it. Picked it up, and I said, hello. It was Bethany. Now, I didn't tell Bethany. She knew I was praying for her, and I reassured her. But I didn't tell her we were asking for God's angel to show up here's what she said to me dad you won't believe this God sent me not one but two angels two ladies amidst all the others about her age were getting off at Cumberland Parkway 
And Bethany says, I can go to the Cheesecake Factory. We have a dear friend of ours who is the manager of the Cheesecake Factory in Cumberland, one of my folks from Tampa, Florida that moved up here, Dan Burton, or Dan Bruton. And we, we said, Bethany said, Dad, God sent me two angels, and I'm, I'm walking with them. It'll take about two and a half miles to get over there, their office building. They're going back to their office building. By now, it's almost midnight. But she says, I'm, I'm going to the Cheesecake Factory. Maybe somebody's still there. That's where she used to work before she went to Georgia Public Health. Well, that was the first two angels. Then we called the Cheesecake Factory. You'll never guess who answered the phone. Dan Bruton. Randy, what can I do? I said, Bethany's on her way walking. It's probably going to take her a while. It's about two miles. But are you going to be there? Look, us and there's about seven or other waitress, our folks, we're here. We're staying here tonight. Bethany can come stay with us. Long story short in that story, folks, God not only sent two angels, he sent Dan, and then lo and behold, he didn't stop. He sent another three angels to get her to another house, and later that night, early in the morning, got her home in a four-wheel drive. Let me tell you what, you talking about a thankful girl, she was. You talking about a thankful mom and dad, and that was happening all over this city. We need to live a lifestyle of saying to God, thank you for what you do. And I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. I know that. But maybe, at least for me, folks, I needed to be reminded of that. And God not only reminded me of it, he made it very clear. Because I'm telling you, in that situation, I could not help my daughter. I couldn't get to her. There was nothing human I could do. What I could do is ask God the Father to protect my child. And what was my response as it is this very minute? Thank you, God. Number six, be knowing. Be knowing. Verses five and six, and right out of be knowing, put the word warning there. The word warning. For know this, he says, and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person, and then he adds a word, who is an idolater, does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of the Messiah of God. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments for, because God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Be knowing. Here. The warning here is Paul adds the word idolatry. These people who do this are worshiping. The word idolatrous in the Greek literally means one who worships something other than God, an image. So he's an idolater. And the Bible's saying someone who worships an image and does not worship God is not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Duh. They won't. Why? They don't know Jesus. You and I who do, the Bible says the Lord's gone to prepare a place for you. And when, he, when, when God's our time is up on this earth, God says, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Wow, folks. The word idolatry, that warning Paul says, be careful, be careful. Because those that do not know Jesus will not inherit his kingdom, period. Wow. There's so much more that I could read to you about that. But I want to tell you number seven here. Number seven, 
the final part of this, is a word that I think Paul uses to sum up the previous six. In other words, how do you do all six of these we have just mentioned? How do you become an imitator? How do you be loving? How do you be pure? How do you be clean mouth and be thankful? How do you know what the Bible says? And a warning, one word, be separate. Be separate. Verse 7, therefore. When the Greek people uses that little word, therefore, it means. Now, based on everything I've just said to you, he began the scripture, the chapter 5 with it, and now he's ending verse 7 in it. He says, therefore, after all these six things, if you want me to sum them all up into one word, that one word is be separate. Don't become their partners. The word partner there in the Greek means someone who is a co-conspirator, a co-participator, a co-person, someone that works alongside of you. Don't become a partner. Don't take on their qualities. Whatever you do, be different. Be separate. And separate means exactly what it says. Don't be like the world. That was Paul's passion for the church. He knew what was happening. He knew what was happening in society. And he says, folks, be careful. Folks, we are not to be isolated from the world, but we are to be insulated, as Vance Havner once said. I love that. Moving in the midst of evil, he says, but untouched by it. Separate. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, my brothers, by the mercy of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world or to this age, but you be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good and pleasing and perfect will of God. So many folks, God shows... You know what's, what, what amazes? It never ceases to amaze me, folks. I'm preparing a message like this, and look what happened the week before. You think, did God cause that snow because of that message? No, 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 no. But at the same time, God used what we went through this past week. And here I am writing this message, and I'm thinking, wow, how all this parallels together. Isn't that a God thing? Isn't that the way God works? You know? So here's what Paul says. Mimic God. Really work at that. Make sure you're loving. Make sure you're pure, not just sexually speaking, but in every way, Paul says, your mind. Be clean mouth. Be careful. Live a life that's constantly thankful. Realize that none of these sins that Paul says will ever be permitted into the kingdom of God and be separate. Come out from among them and be separate. That doesn't mean ignore the world, but it does mean don't be like it. Paul gave us some incredible, incredible advice. Now, out of all seven of those, there's one that you're perhaps weak on. I am. We all are. So begin working on a plan this week that 
whichever one you're weak on or two or whatever that try something, maybe an act of kindness, maybe getting up in the morning and looking in the mirror and saying, Lord, thank you. Maybe it's thanking God for the last breath. Maybe it's thanking God for the food you're about to put in your mouth. I don't know. But it's practicing what Paul tells us to do. Oh, God, please make it so. Make us do what you've told us to do. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for the scripture that is, well, it's just like you said, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the very center of our heart and changes our lives. So, Lord, do your work. Thank you for the attentiveness of these people. Thank you, Lord, for the power of your spirit. And, Lord, just thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen.